Go again to Psalm 66, please, this evening. Psalm 66. We've been looking at this verse throughout the week, if you haven't been with us. But we've been looking at Psalm 66 and verse 12. It says, You caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire, through water, but you brought us out into a wealthy place. Thank you, Lord. The NIV says, you brought us to a place of abundance. The complete Jewish Bible says, you brought us out to a place of plenty. Place of plenty. What's God's will for you to be in a place of lack? Or a place of plenty. Does he have a place. Of plenty. For you. The new century says. You brought us to a place. With good things. A place of good things. You know healing is a good thing. Did you know that? Bible talked about how. Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. With the Holy Ghost and power. He went about doing good. And healing. All that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Well healing's good. Somebody say healing's good. Sickness is bad. And healing is good. Being broke is bad. Having plenty is good. (laughs) Now that's simple to understand. But a whole lot of folk are confused about it. I mean you got huge portions of Christianity. And church going people. And. Preachers and theologians that have, in their minds, advanced beyond that simplicity. (laughs) And uh, they'll tell you sometimes sickness is actually good. And sometimes being broke is a blessing in disguise. They're wrong. I said they're wrong. Sickness is a curse. Has always been a curse. Will always be a curse. Everywhere, in everybody, and no way, no time, nowhere that sickness is a blessing in disguise. No, it's a curse. Being broke is not a blessing in disguise. You say, well, I learned some things while I was broke. Well, that's great. But it wasn't being broke that taught you. Don't give the glory to being broke. And there's a whole lot of things you can learn the hard way or you can learn them the easy way. I've gone down the road in old trappy cars that half the stuff on them didn't work. I'm thinking about one car. It was cold in wintertime and the heater didn't work. And it was so cold, man, you thought your feet would freeze before you got to work. Your feet just got colder and colder and colder and you just couldn't wait till you could get out of this thing. And I prayed in that car. I got cars now that's climate control. You just put 72. My truck's got air-conditioned seats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I can pray maybe better in the comfortable car than I used to pray in the cold car, the leaky car, 
the uncomfortable car. No, there's no benefit to curses. There's no benefit to being sick. I know a lot of people want to argue about it, but there's not. I'm sorry. Jesus became accursed for us. He took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes were healed. Not only that, though he was so very rich, he became poor for our sakes. So that we, through his being poor, might be rich. He became accursed for us. He bore it, not so we could bear it again, so we could be free from it. Now, if you've got some of these things in your life, don't feel bad. Don't feel condemned. Just begin to believe that you don't have to stay that way. And, you know, all the time reading through the scriptures, you'll see things where you're not there yet. Don't be foolish like so many even educated folks have done. They've watered down the Bible to match their experience. I mean, if they don't speak in tongues, then they water it down and say it's passed away and that ceased with the last apostle and all that to justify me not speaking in tongues. If they don't haven't experienced this answer to prayer or this blessing or this healing or this provision, they won't explain it away. Don't do that. I said don't do that. That's trying to act like you've arrived. No, if you're growing up in the Lord and you're staying in the Word and walking with Him, you're going to see things on a regular basis where you're not there yet. What do you do when you see it? You say, Lord, I can see right here. I'm not there. I'm asking you to elevate my life, elevate my understanding, elevate my experience. To match, don't try to water it down to match you. Believe God to elevate you to match this. The Word. So be it. The New King James says, You brought us out to rich fulfillment. Is there a place? Does God have a place planned already for you? Acts 17, we looked at this and talked about it. You have to turn there. But in the Amplified, it says, He definitely determined allotted periods of time and fixed the boundaries of men's habitation. Before you were born, God had planned for you. When you were supposed to be and where you're supposed to be. And with whom. And people have been taught wrongly. And people have been too loose about this. Like we said before, parents tell their children. And I know they mean well, but they say, you know, honey, you're smart, you're beautiful, son. You're smart, you're handsome, you're sharp. You can be anything you want to be when you grow up. You can do anything you want to do when you grow up. Well, no, that's not true if Jesus is your Lord. He's already got a plan for you. And it's not for you to decide what you want to be and do. It's for you to discover what he's already pre-planned for you to be and do. And you can. God's given us all a free will. You can choose to do something else and be something else. But you can never prosper and develop like you're supposed to unless you get in his place. The place he has planned 
That's your wealthy place. There is a place. Thank you, Lord. We looked up the definition from the Hebrew. We said there's two main things it talks about. A place is a location, and a place is a condition. There's a place, a location, and there's a condition of heart and mind where you will prosper like no other place. Where you will succeed, where you will thrive, where you will mature, where you will be fruitful. We've got a lot of Christians all over the world that are bored. They're bored with their life. They're unhappy. They're unfulfilled. They're disgruntled. They don't feel like they're doing anything. They don't feel like they're making any difference. And a lot of times they're not doing much. But it's not God's fault. Why do we have so many Christians disgruntled and unhappy and bored and unfulfilled? Because they're not where they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. Anytime you get to sitting around for an extended period of time feeling bored, just know it's because there's something you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing. If you're doing what the Lord directs you to do, you'll stay occupied every day. If you'll follow your heart and do what He leads you to do, you'll stay occupied. And what He leads you to do will not be a waste of your time. It'll be fruitful. It'll be worthwhile. It'll be a good investment of your energies, your resources, your life. You only got so many days in this life. You don't need to be throwing them away and wasting them. Because soon and very soon, this thing's going to be over. Live every day so you have no regrets tomorrow. Thank you, Lord. We gave three keys that the Lord's given us about how to find and fill and stay in your place. Do you all remember that? Help me out then. How can you find and fill and stay in your wealthy place, your God-ordained place? Willingness. So important. What else? Obedience. Obedience. There are, you know, people say it's hard to find the will of God and this and that, but no, 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 it's people confuse themselves. There are very important times in all of our lives when we come to a place that we know we're supposed to do something. Two significant things that would be hard for me and Phyllis to ever forget was the time we came to know we were supposed to leave home in Mississippi and go to Oklahoma and train for the ministry. I know if we had ignored that or done something else, we would not have prospered. We probably wouldn't even be together. Might not even be alive. But thank God, even though it took a huge step of faith for us and We didn't know where we'd wind up. That's faith like Abraham, isn't it? Go out not knowing where you're going. Do all of us have to walk in that? Yes. I remember again the second time when we'd been out there for years, but the Lord dealt with us to come over here. I know. There came a point in our life where we knew we were supposed to make that move. I know if we hadn't done it, we'd have gone down. There are points In everybody's life, times when the Lord causes you to know something, 
to know that you should do a thing. If you do it, it'll take faith to do it. You'll have to turn loose of what's comfortable and familiar and what you know. And you'll have to step out by faith. But if you do it, you will increase. I said you will increase. You will prosper. You will come up. You'll become, what does it mean to increase? One definition is to become greater. You'll become greater. Your life will become greater. Your influence will become greater for God. Your witness will become greater. If you come to that place and you know you're supposed to do something, but you won't do it, you will decrease. You'll not just stay where you are. You will decrease. You will become less. Your life will become less. Now, if this gets in you, and I trust that it has and it is, you'll begin to see things all around you. You'll begin to put two and two, not just in your life, but in other people's lives. You'll begin to see what happened, and you'll begin to see when they made that decision, they just started going down. Or you can see when people made that decision to obey God, they just took off and went up. You can't control everybody. You can control your life. These important times when you know. And people try to act like, well, I just don't know if I'll ever. No, God will cause you to know. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you know that you're supposed to do this thing. And so be willing. And when it comes time and you know it, obey. Step out. And then what else? Be faithful. When you get somewhere where he's led you to and put you in, you stay there. No matter what. Won't always be easy. You stay there. You endure hardness if it takes it. Whatever kind. Well I shouldn't say if. When it takes it. You endure hardness. And you stay there. Until he comes. Unless and if he tells you something else. Faithfulness. Thank you Lord. Look at two places this evening. Isaiah the 10th chapter. Isaiah 10 and Luke 4. Isaiah, the 10th chapter and the 27th verse, it says, It'll come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Thank you, Lord. Said out loud, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Say it again. Let's say it together. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Because of the anointing. Are there still a lot of people that have strongholds in their lives and bondages in their life and heavy and burdened? What's going to get them loosed? What's going to get them free? It's not men jumping up and down and sweating and hollering and waving their hands. It's it's not people's good intentions. It's not people's sympathy or feeling sorry for or talking your ear off. God uses men and women, but when things happen like this, when yokes are broken and destroyed and burdens are removed, it wasn't a man or woman that did it. It was the anointing that did it. The anointing. If we're talking about wealthy place, how many know a real wealthy place 
Couldn't be a wealthy place unless you had plenty of anointing. It's not just money that makes a wealthy place. We talked about that beginning of the week. You can have all kind of money and not really be prosperous. Not just money, not just stuff. The anointing is such a huge part of our true prosperity, our true victory, our true freedom, our true success. Somebody say anointing. This is how Jesus ministered. Is by the anointing. In Luke 4. He quoted from Isaiah. We were in Isaiah. But Jesus was quoting from the book of Isaiah. In Luke 4. 18. And we have reason to believe. That he quoted this numerous places. And he did so. Because it was such a big part. Of his ministry. He found the place where it was written. In Luke 4.18. He found it in Isaiah. It's recorded in Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, reading that, because He has what? Anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You could also say, He's anointed me and sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives. He's anointed me To bring recovering of sight to the blind. He's anointed me to set at liberty them that are bruised. He would talk about that anointing. He'd talk about that anointing. Do you remember reading about how oftentimes when he'd speak. Great multitudes would clamor and want to touch him. Remember that? People, I mean, woman with the issue of blood, pressed through the crowd to touch him. Why do they want to touch him? Or sometimes they'd bring people and ask him, would you touch him? Would you? Why? Some say, well, it's because it's Jesus. They didn't know that. They didn't know he was the Son of God. Very few had any inkling of that. They saw him as a man, as a prophet. Why did they want to touch him? Why did they want him to touch them? Because he talked about this anointing. And as he talked about it, they heard and faith comes by hearing. And as he began to say, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. What's he saying? The anointing's here. The anointing's here. The anointing's on me. The anointing's on me to set the captives free. The anointing's on me to cause the blind to see. The anointing's on me to heal. The anointing's on me. Glory to God. As he said that, they believed that, and the anointing was manifested. And as many as touched him, the Bible said, were made perfectly whole. Glory to God. Demoniacs were delivered. Blind had their sight restored. Deaf could hear. Lame could walk. Lepers were cleansed. Dead were raised. By the anointing. You know, just me and you talking about it and thinking about it right now. (laughs) Can you sense? The anointing just began to come up. Glory to God. That's not me. That's not you. That's Him. 
Well, come on, let's learn something then. If we were quite a bit drier ten minutes ago, what did we do? Let's do it again. (laughs) And let's do it some more. (laughs) What? What? Faith. How does faith come? Hearing. Hearing about what? Hearing about the anointing. Faith comes for the anointing. When faith comes, the anointing comes. When the word comes, faith comes. When faith comes, the anointing comes. Acts 10.38. We quoted it just a minute ago. But this is how Jesus operated. This is how he ministered. What does it say? It's up on the screen. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now, let's just stop right here. Every one of these words are important, you know. Jesus of Nazareth doesn't refer to his deity. It refer you sometimes you'll see the word the Christ, sometimes Christ Jesus, sometimes Jesus Christ, sometimes Son of Man, sometimes Son of God. We'll see different things are emphasized. Every time it appears differently. This is Jesus. That's what everybody knew him by. In the natural. His family. Everybody in the community. Of Nazareth. That's where he was from. This is like. I know. Don't think I'm being disrespectful. It's like saying. Tom from Michigan. Susie from Pittsburgh. Jesus from Nazareth. Now see some people try to imply. I've heard preachers do this. You know, bang the pulpit and go, you know, Jesus cleansed the lepers and raised the dead. Why? Because he's God. Jesus walked on the water. Why? Because he's God. He's the son of God. Well, he did do it. And he is God manifest in the flesh. But when you say it like that, you're implying something wrong. You're implying that he healed people and did those things as God. And of course, if he did them as God, ain't nobody else going to do them. Because you're not God and I'm not God. Nobody else is. That's right. So they're not going to happen. And yet, how then, if that were true, how can we understand when Jesus said, If you believe on me, the works I do, you'll do too. And greater works than those you'll do. How in the world could you and I expect that to come to pass if he did them as God? Oh, but if as the scripture says... He emptied himself and became like other men. He was God, is God, always will be God. But the Bible said, Philippians said he laid it aside. And he became like other men. What does that mean? He operated with no unfair advantage over us. That's why God had to anoint him. How many understand the anointer? Does not need to be anointed. When you are God. And operating in the power of God. You do not need to be anointed. But because Jesus laid it all aside. He didn't stop being God. But he laid aside his powers and ability as God. Listen how can he do that? God can do things like that. You don't have to understand it. It's part of the mystery of redemption. But he did. 
The Bible said he became like other men. That's why he had to be anointed. And so every work, every miracle, everything that happened, it was the result of the anointing on his life. Oh, come on, do you believe that? And if he would anoint us with that same spirit, if he'd put that same anointing on us, then we can see the glorious possibility of seeing things happen today and in our lives like what happened in his life. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. What is the anointing exactly? You know, we talk a lot about it. Sometimes terms get kicked around so much that people, they're so familiar to folks, they think they know it, and yet they don't really know what it is. What is the anointing? If you look up the word, it basically means, from the Old Testament through, oil. Or thicker consistency could be like a salve. But primarily, oil. And in the first covenant, God commanded them to put together a holy anointing oil. And he gave them exactly how to make it. Mostly comprised of olive oil with some other spices, cinnamon, cassia, calamus, some other things. It's all there in the Bible. And he told them people he had selected like Aaron and his sons to be the high priest to cleanse them, prepare them, make special clothes for them. How many think the ministry ought to be Handled with a certain amount of dignity. You know. There's a lot of talk about. Things today. Advocating more casualness. And looseness. And people talking against. Anybody ever dressing up. Or you know I travel to a lot of churches. And anymore you have to ask them. You know is it okay to wear a tie. Because a lot of folks, you know, just want to wear jeans. And then people say, well, I don't want anybody feeling uncomfortable about coming to the church. What if they don't have money to buy clothes? And they think that's a good justification. No, listen. Nobody ever has to have a tie to go to church. But how many think if you only got three t-shirts, you ought to wear your good t-shirt to church? Are y'all with me now? No, no. I mean, ties and suits are Western concepts. Don't try to impose that on everybody. But you should try to do something different than what you take the trash out with. Are y'all with me or not now? No, now anybody that doesn't come to church because they think they don't have, you know, fancy clothes, that's just an excuse. And anybody that tries to make somebody feel uncomfortable because they don't have certain kind of clothes, that's not love. That's ugly. Ignorant. But we got a whole lot of people. They dress to come to church. Just like they dressed to cut their grass. And they got better and they can do better. 
It's a matter of disrespect. Go back and read what they did about. I mean, God was specific. The clothes were made a certain way, certain kind of materials, and they couldn't even wear those clothes any other time except when they came in the holy place. And when they had to take a bath, they had to be clean, and they had to put these clothes on, and then Moses called them and took this holy anointing oil, and he poured it on them. Glory to God. Psalm 133. Put that up on the screen for us. The psalmist describes. What uh, happened. On this occasion. He said how good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity. He said it's like. What? The precious ointment. Upon the head. That ran down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his own garments. It describes what happened. They didn't take a little bitty one ounce bottle and put some on their finger and made a cross in their forehead. They poured it on top of his head. And it piled up and ran down over all his face and that got on his clothes was messy. But he knew he had been anointed. I said he knew he had been anointed. And he smelled like that all night long. And three days later. And the Bible talks about it. I mean it's a big deal. All through the Old Testament. About somebody that the holy anointing oil had been poured on. The Lord's anointed. We talked a few nights ago about what David talked about Saul, even though he was acting devilish and mean, yet he kept bringing up, no, he's the Lord's anointed. They anointed him with oil. Had to respect that. How many understand that there could be no proper wealthy place unless there was some anointing involved? One of the definitions for anointing is richness. How many know oil is rich? Rich. Thick. Heavy. Didn't say you got spritzed. (laughs) Anointed. Now why are we talking about oil? Because that was and is a type. A type of something that is absolutely real in the spirit. The anointing. Go with me please to Kings. The book of 1 Kings. The 19th chapter. How many interested in an increase? In anointing. Oh yeah. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. I mean what's church for? Why do we have services? Why do we have ministries? What's outreaches for? What's crusades for? What's meetings for? It's for people to get saved. How are they going to get saved? See things. Become aware. Become convicted. Become enlightened. What does all that? Not a man. Not a woman. The anointing. 
Do we want our sick folks to be healed? What's going to get them healed? You can't heal them. I can't heal them. We can sweat. We can scream. We can push people down and pick them back up. Won't heal them. I said, won't heal them. But the anointing can. I said, the anointing can. How about our folks that are in bondage? In bondage to pornography. In bondage to drugs. Bondage to alcohol. In bondage to any number of sin and issues and problems. Can they be free? Can all our people be free? Can all of us be free? Of any bondage? Any burden? People that are heavy, loaded down, depressed, heartbroken, down. Why would they be so down? Why would they be so low? Because they got this load pushing down on them. They got sorrow pushing down on them. They got grief. They got regret pushing down on them. Condemnation. Is there something that can get it off of them? (laughs) You can't get it off of them. You can talk all night and all day and not get it off of them. You can cry night and day and not get it off of them. Hmm? What can get it off of them? The anointing, the power of God. That's why the devil, I'm telling you, the devil and all his cohorts and demons are scared spitless of the anointing. Scared of the anointing. Jesus, beginning days of his life and ministry. No miracles, no signs, no wonders why. Because he became a man. He's operating as a man. You got some apocryphal writings that have Jesus healing little friends when he prayed with them and touching little dead birds and raising them to life as a child. Don't believe it. It's not true. The Bible said the first miracle that happened in his life was the turning of water into wine. And that was after he was baptized in the river Jordan. And when he came out, the Holy Spirit came down. Hallelujah. In a bodily shape and form as a do- and sat on him. Woo! What happened? He was anointed. The anointing came on him. And immediately... He, went in, he was led into the wilderness where he was subjected to temptation and pressure like he had never experienced in his life. Forty days and a Why then? Why did the devil attack him with this kind of temptation and pressure now? He was son of God when he was 15, when he was 18, when he was 25. Why now? Why not until now? All those years. And why now? Because it wasn't until now that the anointing came on him. So what's this about? The devil is scared of this anointing. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to sin. He's trying to get Jesus to compromise himself. Why? Because condemnation destroys faith. And confidence. And if you lose your faith, you won't step out in the anointing. And if you won't step out, how many understand if Jesus wouldn't have stepped up and preached about the anointing and by faith ministered by the anointing, there would have been no manifestation of the anointing. If he hadn't preached about it, nobody would have heard it. They wouldn't have believed in it. There wouldn't have been any manifestation of it. Think about it now. The devil can work. 
not just in one generation, multiple generations, building and, and strongholds in people's thinking and minds and, and getting whole generations of folks just gripped in fear, bondage, habits, sin. And in a millisecond, the anointing can take it all off. No wonder it frustrates him. A lifetime of working to get somebody in bondage and the anointing destroy every yoke, remove every burden, make a person completely free. How many think any kind of real wealthy place would be a place of the anointing? A place of rich fulfillment would have to be a place where the power of God is manifested. Where the Spirit and the presence of God, which is saying the same thing, where the anointing is manifested. Now there is a place God has foreordained for you to be where the anointing in your life will come and where the anointing in your life will increase both location and condition. And we see it portrayed very distinctly in these chapters right here. First Kings, are you there? 19 and 15. First Kings 19 and 15. The Lord said to him, go return on your way onto the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come, he's talking to Elijah, the man of God. When you come, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall you anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shall you anoint to be a prophet in your room. What is a room? It's a place. What qualifies you to be in a place, to stand in a place, to operate in a place? It's the anointing. Well... Verse 19, so he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelve. Man, they got a going concern. That's like somebody today, like somebody with some of the biggest uh, combines and equipment. He didn't just have one little donkey, man. He had twelve yoke. He's out there doing something. Notice he wasn't just waiting at the house. For somebody to recognize his gift. (laughs) He wasn't just waiting on his ministry. To appear. And to develop. That's another message. What was he doing? Come on somebody tell me what he was doing. The man was out there in the hot field. Behind smelly oxen. Plowing up the ground. Farming. Doing something. Being productive. How many know God knows where you are? You think he could find you out on the job site? Just as easy as he could find you waiting at home doing nothing. God sent the man of God right to him. Right out there in the field. And Elijah passed by him and cast or threw his mantle upon him. 
Now you see the word mantle used in numerous ways in the Bible and in this passage particularly. What was a mantle? The word for mantle means large. It means wide. It means powerful. A mantle was a big outer garment. Be almost like a blanket in some ways. Big, not fitted, not tight. Not necessarily even with sleeves. Somebody say big. Big. Wide. Wide. Something that would cover you. If it was real cold, man, you could completely cover up with that thing. And he took it off. And he came up behind Elisha's. He's just plowing away. And he threw that over him. He just threw it over him. And Elisha immediately stopped. And he knew what it was. Didn't he? Knew what it was. Keep reading. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah. I guess Elijah kept moving. He had to go catch him, didn't he? He just walked by him, threw that over him. And Elisha stopped and just let all the 12 yoke of oxen leave him. And then he had to run after him. And he said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, go back again. What have I done to you? Why would he say that? Because, friend, it's up to you. It's up to you. Opportunities like this. How many know the scripture says many are called? Many are called, but what? Why are few chosen? Because only few take advantage of the opportunity. Only few are willing to commit to follow like this. So Elijah said, go. What did I do? You can't wait on somebody else to make you commit. When you know something in your heart, you've got to rise up yourself. You've got to be self-motivated. You can't wait for somebody to follow you around and make you obey God. It's just not going to happen. He said, what have I done? Go. But he took off. And he took a yoke of oxen and slew them. This is commitment, brothers. What does this mean? This is like selling your tools. Getting rid of your tractor. What does this mean? I'm not in the farming business anymore. This is commitment. Once you've killed these oxen and and fed everybody with them, you can't plow with them anymore. He even broke up the plowing equipment. Used it for firewood. Can you see? How many know this is commitment? He bore their flesh with the instruments of the oxen. He gave to the people they ate. Then he rose and he went after Elijah and ministered to him. He helped him. One phrase said he poured water on the hands of the man of God. How did he help him? See, so many times people think the things of God are so glamorous all the time. Poured water. Before you pour water, you got to draw water. Drawing water, toting water, pouring water, cooking food, washing dishes, cleaning clothes. Welcome to the ministry. That's the ministry. That's what you do most of the time. How many know we're not in church all night and all day? What's going on the rest of the time? Things that 
prepare you to be able to do things like this. And so much of it's natural. I said so much of it's natural. And yet, God anoints people to do natural things. Now come on, think about this. Has this man been called? Elisha. Does this mantle coming on him, does it represent some kind of anointing? God told him to go anoint him to do this. Has something happened to him already? But he's not, there's no indication that he's prophesying or preaching or giving Bible studies. Is there an anointing to clean, to build? Do you remember reading about in the Old Testament when God gave them instructions how to make the tabernacle and how to make the ark and how to make the poles? He picked some men. What were their names? Aholiab, Bezalel. And the Bible said the Spirit of God came on them. He put the anointing on them and the Spirit on them for what? To work with brass, to work with wood, not to prophesy. There's an anointing to do what you're supposed to do in your place. Not only that, it can be increased. I say it, it can be increased much more. And that's when it gets more fun. When you're struggling in your own strength and you're coming up short and you're just depending mostly on your own brawn and your own brain, it's tiring, it's wearying, and the result's not all that hot either. But the more the Lord can anoint you, He can anoint your mind. Oh, come on. You think differently. He can make you sharp, give you wisdom. You see the end from the beginning. On this project and this plan. You stop wasting time. You stop wasting energy. You begin to operate with wisdom. By the anointing on your mind. And on you. He shows you a better way to do it. And then a better way to do it. And the best way to do it. Come on. God can anoint you. To fix your hair. He can anoint you to organize your house. Amen. Yes, amen. So I want to prophesy. Take care of your house. <laughs> I want to preach. Take care of your foundation. Take care of your basics. Where's your place? Well, we have reason to believe. I, if you read after different individuals, the numbers vary. But he followed Elijah. Poured water on his hands, the Bible said, for some say six years, some say as many as 30 years. Most say 10, 12 years. Somebody say years. Years. It's years either way. Years of washing and hanging out. Years of cooking and cleaning. Years of getting clothes ready. Years of... Of traveling, making arrangements. Somebody say years. 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 Second Kings, are you there? Just a couple of pages there. Second Kings. Second chapter. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. That Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now this is some 10, 12, maybe longer years since you and I just read about him finding him in the field with the oxen. 
How many think he's used to a different way of life by now? And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Elisha said to him, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'll not leave you. Some people have tried to imply that Elijah's commanding him not to go. And he said, no, I'm going to go. I don't care what you say. That'd be rebellion. That'd be disobedience. That's not what happened here. Note the phrase, I pray thee. That's a most kind supplication type phrase. What's he saying? Just stay here if you want to. Why don't you? It's probably what we'd say. Instead of saying, I pray thee. The trip's long. We're all tired. You don't have to go with me over there. The Lord's dealt with me to go there. You don't have to go. You can stay here. But what did he say? He said, uh-uh. No. No. No, I'm going. If you're going, I'm going. He said, okay, come on. Come on. He said, I'm not going to leave you. Verse 3, and the sons of the prophets there were in Bethel came forth to Elisha, and they said to him, Knowest thou the Lord will take away your master from your head today? He said, yeah, I know it. Be quiet. (laughs) Friend, this is significant. How did they know this? I said, how did they know this? How did he know this? They were living in an awareness of spiritual things. This is before the internet, our computers, our telephones, our telegraph, our television, or tele anything. And yet they just knew it. And when they saw him come to town, they ran over to him and said, Do you know? God's going to take Elijah away today. Today, Elijah. He said, Yeah, I know it. Shh. Hush. Friends, I'm convinced so many of us as Christians are living too dull. We should be aware of things. I said we should be aware of things. We should know things. We should know it in our spirit. You don't have to see a vision. You don't have to hear a voice. You can just know it. What's the difference? They were living a lifestyle that was conducive to this. Where they lived, who they lived with, what was going on around them. They were living a lifestyle that was conducive and promoted them being aware of spiritual things. We laud our technology, but it's part of our problem. You think about it. A lot of times in days past, people knew more things. Just simply because no electricity, no TV. No radio. When the sun went down, you go to bed. And you don't listen to 105 high-definition channels. You lay there and listen to the crickets. You get quiet. Your mind gets quiet. Your heart gets quiet. And at times like that, you can know things. Things can just become aware to you. Come clear to you. Is this important? Do we need to get back to some of these things? Just getting quiet. Didn't the Bible say be still? Be still. And know that I am God. 
I know when I first began to get in the ministry, the Lord dealt me to begin doing this. And all, it was one of the toughest things. I mean, I come from a line of, of, you know, the men in my family, they impressed upon me, you work. And if you don't work, you're sorry. You don't lay around in the bed. You don't goof around. You work. And so every time I'd go to get quiet, and especially if it was in the middle of the day and I'm supposed to get quiet and pray some, I'd lay across the bed and I'm thinking, I can't lay here in the bed. I'd be sorry. <laughs> i got to work. And yet, this is my work. It took some mind renewal. And boy, there's many a time I was laying there praying, trying to get quiet, thinking, boy, it'd be a lot easier digging a ditch. <laughs> I can sweat. I can feel like I'm doing something. And getting your mind quiet. I mean, you can be laying there still and your mind be shh. Isn't this something under an old, worse covenant from ours? They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them like we do. And yet they knew stuff. How much more? Should we know things? We ought to know things. Shouldn't we? Just know it. Just pick it up. Just know it. You know, in the book of Acts, you see that a group of disciples, not ministers, not preachers, when Paul came to them, they began to talk to him about getting in trouble in Jerusalem. And about that. They just picked it up. When he came there, they knew it. Now, they jumped to a wrong conclusion about it, but they picked it up. Keep reading. Verse 4, Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, I pray thee. Why don't you? For the Lord sent me on to Jericho. If you were tired back there, I know you're tired here. And there's no need for both of us to have to go. You just stay here and rest. I'll go on what he say. Mm-mm. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. What's his job? What's his call? Help this man. Where is he supposed to be? Wherever he is. What's he supposed to be doing? Helping him do whatever he's doing. Where's his wealthy place? Is there such a thing as a true wealthy place with no anointing? No. Real wealthy place has anointing. And the more you get into it, the more anointing. And you can see, that's on his mind today too. Have you read this? I said it's on his mind too. He said, no, no, I won't leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho, this is another bunch. They came to Elisha. They said to him, do you know the Lord's going to take away your master today? He said, yeah, I know it. Be quiet. Now, there's something else we need to learn. Just because you know something? I said, just because you did pick up something? Just because you did perceive something and know something? Does not mean you're supposed to talk it and broadcast it. He said, yeah, shh, shh, I know it. Certainly I know it. But isn't this something that they all knew this? They all knew it. Nobody told them. Elijah said to him, stay here. Why don't you? Because the Lord sent me to Jordan. He's come too far to quit now. He said, no, uh uh-uh. As the Lord lives and your soul lives, I will not leave you. He said, all right, come on. They two went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. 
And they too stood by Jordan. They knew something was up. And they just, even though they weren't invited to go, <laughs> they got as close as they could so they could watch. Isn't this something? They just knew. How did they know? By the anointing. The Bible says you have an unction of the Holy One. That's the word for anointing. And by that anointing, you know all things. Elijah took his mantle. He wrapped it together. This is this big, wide garment. He smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Not a fairy tale. This sounds too amazing to be true to many people today. They think, what do you mean? That sounds like magic. What do you mean? He took his cloak and he hit the water and it rolled back and they went over on dry ground. These things must not seem too spectacular to believe if we're going to have any things like this in our generation. We must believe the same God today does the same kind of things today. And that it's not according to our whim, but that he does do signs and wonders that baffle the minds of men and call attention to his goodness, his redemption. Do you believe things like this could happen today? Must be a generation that rises up hungry for this, not content to just be intellectual, explain everything away. How many I got in here with me that believe in miracles? Hmm? You believe God can do amazing, amazing, amazing things you can't explain. Things that defy gravity, defy the so-called laws of physics and, and nature. Well, if he created it, why can't he suspend it or alter it or change it or set it aside or override it? You hear people trying to be, you know, being sarcastic and, and calling us all ignorant because we believe in these things. No way. A whole, the Red Sea split and they all went across. It happened. No way that the sun stood still for all that time. And the one time the sun went backwards. I said, no way. That doesn't make sense. The planets are rotating around each other. It can't happen. If you made the planets, if you put them in orbit, you can do it. Now we all know you can't do it. But the one who made them can do it. Oh, come on. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? That's what Jesus was preaching about. That's what he wanted people's faith to jump up about. Didn't he? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is here. He's on me. He's anointed me. You can be healed. You can see. You can be free. You can be delivered. And there were enough people there, just simple-minded, uncomplicated enough to believe it. And they got miracles. I said, they got miracles. They got miracles. Leprous people. Their skin became clean and smooth like a little baby's. People that couldn't see all their life began to be able to see. 
People that couldn't hear. People that couldn't walk. Do you believe it still happens today? It still happens today. By the anointing. By the anointing. Do you want more anointing? Do you like to see stronger anointing? On your ministers. On your people. On yourself. Well here that's what Elisha was interested in. And he follows this man all the way. And then this man turns around and looks at him. And says. He smites this water with his mantle. Supernaturally. Rolls back. They walk across on dry ground. Both of them. Came to pass when they're going over to the other side. Elijah said to Elisha. Ask what I shall do for you. Why didn't he ask him that question back at uh, Bethel? Why? He couldn't. How many believe this man. You think he's in the spirit today? He's probably as much out of this realm as in it. On this day. Because in just a few more minutes he's out. He's doing what the Lord's telling him to do and say. He couldn't say it till now. What if Elisha had said, yeah, I am kind of tired. I'll just stay here. You go on. Was there a place, a time and a place that God had ordained for him to get an increase in the anointing that, oh, come on, can you see, in the anointing that was on his life? And he didn't get the opportunity until he had gone far enough. Until he had stayed. I mean, we can see every one of these, can't we? You got to be willing. Was he willing when the man of God came up and throwed that mantle over him? And he's got this big farming concern. And he's got a, you know, he had a life. He had a lot of stuff going. Was he willing to walk away from it? Was he willing not to look back? Was he willing to serve? Did he obey and step out and follow the man of God? Was he faithful? Yes. Year after year after year after year after. Was he faithful? Did he stay in his place? Yes, Don't you imagine they had some days where he might have thought about other things? Uh-huh. Wondered how the farming concern was going? But he stayed put. He stayed hooked. He stayed faithful. How many believe it's important to stay faithful all the way? All the Not, not part of the way. Not 80%. Not 90%. All the way. And on this day, he's been faithful all these years. It's no time to become a slacker now. It's no time to slack up now. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm going with you. Nope, nope, I'm here to help you. You may need some help at Jericho. You may need some help at over this other place. Nope, I'm, me and you. He said, all right, come on. Then he looks at him. Now, you've got to understand what just happened. They just walked through a miracle. This is not just like chatting at the restaurant. They just saw the miracle. They too walked through dry ground. Water standing up. Piled up upon itself on both sides. Reckon they felt the presence of God? They got over to the other side. Elijah looks at him and says, what do you want? (laughs) Ask me. This is just, I don't know, minutes before he's out of this world. He said, what do you want? He didn't have to think. He didn't have to look at his notes. He didn't have to call anybody. Or ask him, what did he say? He's been thinking about this for some time. (laughs) 
I said he's been thinking about this for some time. He said, I want a double portion of what's on you. Your spirit, I want a double portion. Elijah said, you've asked a big thing. But, he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken away from you, it shall be so to you. But if not, it shall not be so. Has he got to be in the right place at the right time? If he's not there, will it happen anyway? He told him it wouldn't. What are we talking about? We're talking about tonight the place of the anointing. The place of increase of anointing. Verse 11, and it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold... There appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. You ever saw a chariot of fire? Me neither. How many think it's glorious? You could look at it. It's horses, and yet they're not horses like you ever saw. They're horses made out of fire. Chariot. It's real. There it is. They ain't made out of wood. Our steel is made out of fire. But not imaginary. Real. How many believe the things of the Spirit are real? Almost all of our experience has been in this physical thing. But all this came out of the Spirit. God, who is Spirit, created it. You're not ju- you and I are not just made for the limitations of the physical world. And the mental world. We're spirits. We're spirits. God is the father of spirits. He's our father. And deep calls unto deep. Can you hear it brothers? Deep calls unto deep. What? Oh. To experience the spirit. To see and know. In the spirit. Now we're called to walk by faith right now. We're called to obey and follow when we don't see. Soon and very soon, this veil of flesh will be pulled off. No Christian should ever fear death or dread death. You talk about seeing. You talk about knowing. It's going to be like pulling your hand out of a glove. You're like pulling a bucket off of your head. <laughs> pulling earplugs out of your ears. <laughs> Heard a woman giving her testimony a while back. She was a music executive. Had been all her life. And young woman, but terrible problems with her body. And they nobody would operate on her to try to do anything about it. But one fellow finally said he would. But they said, you know, you may die. You'll probably die. But she decided to go through with it. And while on the table, she died. They tried to get her back, and they lost her, and tried to get her back, and they lost her, and it was a real struggle. They finally got her back. It was hours before she woke up. And when she did, doctor talked to her. They were all rejoicing because, against all odds, it had been a success. 
And she did recover. And she talked to them about some things that they said while she was unconscious. And it troubled the doctor. And so he immediately consulted with the rest of the team. He said, who told her that? And he was able to ascertain none of them told her that. And there was no way she could have seen it or known it. So he came back and asked her. She said, I didn't want to say, but uh, I saw you. I saw, I heard what you said. I saw you working on me. And she described to him what tool he was using on her head, in her brain. And he knew ain't no way she could have seen that or known that. Nobody would have ever told her that, those particular details. He was baffled. But she went on to say, she said, I have never seen colors like I could see. I have never heard like I, of course, she's a music executive. That's her life. She was disappointed to get back in her body. (laughs) She said she felt handicapped and just limited because she said, oh, I could hear. I could hear things. I, I could see. Well, it's not physical. What is it? She's seeing spirit. She's hearing spirit without the dull veil of the flesh. Soon and very soon. But until then, we're not stuck in the dullness of intellectualism. If they could be aware of things and see things under the old covenant... We can be more aware than we've been. God can give us opening of eyes and opening of ears. Chariots of fire. Horses of fire. Parted them. What does that mean? Ran in between. They're walking along together and here come the horses and chariots. Between them, they had to split. That's how close Elisha was to that chariot and horse. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. How far did Elisha go with Elijah? As far as he could. (laughs) Until God himself parted him. He couldn't go any further. Oh, thank you, Lord. God's talking to people in here tonight. Elisha saw it and he cried. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. Fire, horses, and chariot out of sight. He's standing there. They've already had quite a day. (laughs) Haven't they? Under the old covenant, we've got a better covenant. We've got a better, we didn't lose anything by the coming of Jesus. We don't have less than they got. We had more than they have. Do you believe it? Are we still supposed to have some amazing things happen in our generation? We're supposed to have, in these days, signs and wonders. I'm expecting it. Are you? I'm expecting it. 
But do you know it will not be received by everyone? What if God did something like this today? What would a lot of people do? Oh, that's weird. Right? That's scary. They'd separate. They'd run. Say it out loud. Lord, prepare us. For what's to come. He took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. That sounds reminiscent of renting the oxen and breaking up the utensils. Why? He's done with the water fetching clothes. <laughs> He's done with the fire building clothes. And he reached over. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that he just used not long ago to strike that body of water and saw that amazing miracle. The mantle of Elijah that fell from him. Well, where's his breeches? And his socks? And his t-shirt? This is all it mentions. Why? Because the mantle... Represents the anointing. And when you leave this world. You don't take your mantle with you. Your mantle is for service. Down here. So as he swept away. He's standing there in amazement. And here comes. That mantle. That he's seen be the tool. Of a miracle's. And signs. And it fell before him. He grabbed his water fetching clothes. He ripped them. And he reached down. He picked up that mantle. Glory to God. He walked back over. To the waters. And he said. Where is the Lord God of Elijah. And he slammed that mantle down, just like he saw the man he served for 12 years do. And I mean, glory to God, the waters parted back, rolled back all the way across the body. And he heard a lot of shouting up on the hilltop. It was that 50 that was what, <laughs> that's been watching this whole deal. <laughs> And they said, the spirit of Elijah is on Elisha. Friend, never should we become forlorn. Never should we feel dejected when those who've served before us go on and go on into heaven. Our leaders, our preachers, our pastors... Our fathers in the faith, our mothers in the faith, our men and women of God. Because God does not leave us orphans. He does not leave us helpless and without. All the power and mantle and anointing that He's ever put on anybody before us, they didn't take it to heaven with them. He left it in the earth. 
and those that he trains and is preparing for the generation to come. It is to come and rest upon them. And not even in the same measure. But a double. Oh, double. Double. Portion. Portion. This is not Keith talking. Do you understand this? Double portion. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you. Let's just wait on him for a few moments. Just focus on him. Reverence him. Reverence him. Reverence him. Wait on him a little bit. Father, we worship you. You are so great. You are so mighty. You are so great. Your spirit, your spirit, hallelujah, oh hallelujah, hallelujah. I heard these words, the days ahead are important days. The days ahead have been predetermined. The days ahead, the times and the bounds and places appointed have been predestined by the Father of Spirits, by the head of the church. And you have a part to play in this plan. You have a God-ordained, predestined part. But you'll not attain to it, and you'll not stand in the fullness of it going your own way. There is much that needs to be prepared in you. There is much that you need to be trained for and changed into. And it will not come all at once or in one fell swoop. But here a little and there a little. And grace upon grace. And build upon build. And word upon word. And anointing and supply of the Spirit and grace upon grace. If you'll follow me closely every day, if you'll let me lead you, if you'll stay close and be committed and be where I say, when I say, and do what I say, then like Joshua with Moses, like Elisha with Elijah, like Timothy with Paul, so shall come upon you. A mantle. So shall come upon you an enablement and an anointing that will cause you to rise up and be changed into another man. Be changed into a different person. But it'll not be for your glory. It'll not be for men to see you. But it will be for the plan of God. It will be for the receiving of the needs of the people met. It will be for the advancement of the gospel and for the glory of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Him some more, saints. Praise Him some more. Oh, Father, we praise You. Oh, Father, we glorify You. Oh, Father, we bless You. Oh, we desire You. We hunger for You to see Your glory. We hunger to see your glory. We hunger to see your light. We desire thee, Lord. We hunger for you. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge 
by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.